2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Uh, since this is Communion Sunday, uh, we are going to take a, a short break from Philippians and just revisit a very familiar text to all of us here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. I want to read verses 17 to 21. So follow along as I read this portion of Scripture. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And may God add his blessing uh, to the reading of that portion of scripture. In the context of this passage of Scripture, Paul was sharing about the new covenant ministry that he was called to proclaim. And an aspect of that is reconciliation, which we just read about there in verses 17 to 21. In fact, the word is mentioned there five times. The Greek word is katalasso and simply means a change or an exchange. Often, it was used with regards to money. But the apostle used it in regards to people before God to speak of a change in status, a change in position from one of enmity or alienation to that of forgiveness and restoration. We saw this in our scripture reading this morning from Ephesians 2, didn't we? You bet. But there are some wonderful illustrations of it in scripture, one is in Luke 15, the parable of the prodigal son. Also in the epistle of Philemon and his relationship with Onesimus. And I would exhort you to read those passages of scripture this week, just as an encouragement to your own heart. In fact, we're going to come back to one of these illustrations at the end of this service because they're so powerful. You see, beloved, these Corinthians needed to be reminded of what had happened in their lives. False teachers were in their midst attacking Paul and getting people to question Paul's message by doing that. And you know, that's happening today. People are trying out there to get us to question the Word of God and its power and its truth. But when you remember Christ's work and the change that it has wrought in your heart and life, it should keep you faithful to Christ and enduring for His sake. Amen? Yes. That's what the gospel does. And so this morning, I want you to consider with me three rich truths. Three rich truths regarding reconciliation from verse 21 alone. And I pray that it will cause you to appreciate what you have in Christ and also lead you to rejoice as you partake of the elements this morning. 
I know that these truths that I'm going to share with you, you have heard before. But again, it's good to be reminded of them because we easily forget, especially in the day and age in which we live. There's so many things to distract us. And it's good for us to come to a service like this, to have communion, and to be reminded of these rich gospel truths, which are the foundation for everything. And to encourage our hearts in the Lord. The first truth is seen there actually in the first part of verse 21. Look what it says there. He made him who knew no sin. We'll just stop right there. What do you notice? What truth about reconciliation? Well, it's simply this. It teaches us necessity in the sinlessness of Christ. It teaches us necessity in the sinlessness of Christ. An important truth. That phrase there, who knew no sin, is emphasized in the Greek. It's at the beginning of the Greek sentence, showing its importance. Also, that word knew there means to recognize and understand. It actually has an intimacy about it. So in other words, right up front, the apostle makes it clear that Jesus had no acquaintance with sin. He had no relationship with it. You know, this is confirmed also in the Old Testament many times. But we see it in Isaiah 53, 9, that great chapter about the suffering servant, Jesus, which is partly quoted by Peter himself in 1 Peter chapter 2. In fact, take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter 2 just for a moment. 1 Peter 2, I want to read verses 22 and 23. Verse 22 is what has been quoted in Isaiah 53 and verse 9. But Peter recalls it and says this, Who committed no sin, speaking of Jesus, nor was any deceit found in his mouth, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Also, the Apostle John spoke these words in 1 John 3 and verse 5. You know that he, that is Jesus, appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, there is no sin. Very emphatic. Now, it is true that our Lord Jesus Christ was a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. We see that in Isaiah 53. He knew suffering and was tempted by Satan. We see that in Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4. But he never succumbed. Why? Because he was and is God. Impeccable. Now, why is all this important? You might be even asking this question. Why would the Apostle Paul, you know, put that right up front? Why is this so important? Well, I think on one hand, first of all, to identify and sympathize with man's weaknesses. That's why it's important that Jesus did this. To identify and sympathize with man's weaknesses. I mean, it says in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 15 and 16, these words, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. 
Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Amen. So that's one reason. But more importantly, on the other hand, it was to atone for our sin. Amen? Yes. Only a sinless person could do such. That's why the apostle should say the uh, John the Baptist in, in John 1 in verse 29. Remember when Jesus came out of the, the desert, he pointed to Jesus speaking to his followers and he says, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. So Jesus was the Old Testament sacrificial lamb, the fulfillment of that. The true lamb without spot or blemish, which made for an acceptable sacrifice. And so if the atonement was to be, it had to be the God-man himself. It was man's sin that made the sinlessness of Christ and his work necessary. Wow, these are this, that's a powerful truth. It's just good for us every so often just... To step back and to think about that. That reconciliation demands the sinlessness of Christ. Beloved, you know this truth. But it's important to remember and to meditate upon it. And so as you prepare for communion this morning, let your heart be gripped with the truth that it was our sinless God and Creator who left the realms of glory to take on humanity and become our Savior. In fact, the depths of that we can't even fully comprehend to leave that glory to come here. But he lived a perfect life for you and I. That's simply amazing. Reconciliation teaches us Necessity in the sinlessness of Christ. That's why Paul emphasized it right up front. This brings us to the next truth that's captured in the following phrase. Look what he goes on to say. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. So what is another truth here regarding reconciliation? It teaches us necessity in the substitution of Christ. It teaches us necessity in the substitution of Christ. Now, I want you to understand that that phrase there does not mean that Jesus became a sinner on the cross. <laughs> there are some out there who think that as they read this. That would contradict what we already looked at in the first part of the verse, right? Yes. No, it simply means that he became our sin bearer. Our sin was imputed to Jesus. And so this demanded what? Death. The wages of sin is death. Romans 6.23 You see, God is holy. He must punish sin. And this wasn't something new. 
It's been this way from the beginning, has it not? Sure. What is said here begins in Genesis. Go with me back to Genesis 2, if you would. Genesis 2. This is before Eve was created. Genesis 2, verses 15 to 17. Genesis 2, beginning with verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of the good and evil... You should not eat, for in the day you eat from it, you shall what? Surely die. So when Adam and Eve disobeyed God, as we see in Genesis 3, they died spiritually. They were separated from God. And they began to die physically. You even see that beginning in Genesis chapter 5. And every person since Adam has been born with a nature to sin and thus is separated from God and dying. Again, the Apostle Paul, what he said in Romans 5.12 is built on what is stated in Genesis 2 and 3. For as by one man sin entered the world and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. That's the bad news. <laughs> The good news is that God in His grace and love sent His Son to take man's place and to satisfy His wrath upon sin. Praise the Lord. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. Romans 5.8 But God commendeth His love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Only he could do this because he was the perfect, sinless substitute. And since he rose from the dead, man can have eternal life. I guess we could say of this verse that God the Father, and you've heard me say this before, treated God the Son, Jesus, like us, as though he had sinned. So that he might treat us like Jesus as though we had never sinned. This is remarkable, isn't it? Just to think about. But this is what Paul is trying to convey here in this verse. Just to put some flesh to this. In a small way. Chuck Swindoll shared this story. He said, a particular church recently received personal greetings from Kiev Medical Center staff in Kenya and read of the following amazing story. Eight-year-old Monica broke her leg as she fell into a pit. An older woman, Mama Neri, happened along and climbed into the pit to help get Monica out. In the process, a dangerous black mamba snake bit both Mama Neri and Monica. Monica was taken to Kiev Medical Center and admitted. 
Mama Neri went home but never woke from her sleep. The next day, a perceptive missionary nurse explained Mama Neri's death to Monica, telling her that the snake had bitten both of them, but all of the snake's poison was expended on Mama Neri. None was given to Monica. The nurse then explained that Jesus had taken the poison of Monica's sin so that she could have new life. Monica then received Jesus as Savior and Lord on the spot. Isn't that wonderful? She just used her circumstances, a little situation that they were in, to share the truth of what we find here in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21. Oh, it's a, it's, it's a small. I mean, what Christ has done is so far greater, but that's a small picture. And God used that to draw her heart to himself. And so, yes, reconciliation teaches us necessity in the sinlessness of Christ and the substitution of Christ. But there's another truth here that we need to see that's so important. It's in the latter part of that verse. Paul goes on to say, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. So what do you see there? Reconciliation teaches us necessity of salvation through Christ. Salvation through Christ. That little phrase there at the end of the verse is actually a purpose clause. Meaning that the substitutionary atonement which we just discussed and considered makes it possible for us to have salvation through Christ. What does that mean? It means deliverance from sin and judgment and given Christ's righteousness. That's salvation. Another way of saying it is that our sin is imputed to Him so that His righteousness might be imputed to us. You know what they call that? The great exchange. (laughs) I mean, think about that. We offer God our sin for His righteousness? Wow! You might say, well, that's not fair. It isn't fair. It's God's grace. And so as we think about that truth, it should just rivet our hearts in thankfulness and praise and giving ourselves back to Him for His glory. Romans 5, 17. For if by the transgression of one, that would be Adam, death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And so the work of Christ has been done in order to experience salvation. But does that mean that everybody's saved? No. I mean, we're not universalists. What do I mean by that? I mean that just because Christ has done the work, and He has, He's done everything necessary, does not mean that everybody is saved. No. You must apply the work of God's grace to your hearts. And how do you do that? Through faith, right? Yeah. 
It's through faith. We've been in Philippians. It says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 9. Just want to remind you what we looked at about a month ago. The Apostle Paul says this, And may be found in him, that is Christ, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Amen. And then as a result, what happens? When we receive Christ, we become new creatures, right? Isn't that what verse 17 says here in the context? Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You're forgiven. You're enjoying fellowship and peace with God. What is that? That's reconciliation. Exactly what we looked at this morning in Ephesians 2, where it says there in verses 13 and 14, But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for He Himself is our peace. You want to put a picture to this. It's almost as though there was a wall between us and God. It was the wall of our sin. And by God's grace, it has been broken down. And by faith, as we identify in the death and resurrection of Christ, we are reconciled, we are restored, we are forgiven, we have peace. That is salvation in a nutshell. As mentioned earlier, a great illustration of this is found in Luke 15. I do want us to go there. So take your Bibles and turn to Luke 15. Luke 15. This is the parable of the prodigal son. We know what a parable is, don't we? It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Doesn't mean that it took place, but it could have. And here you have this story that Jesus used. A good picture. An earthly story of reconciliation. Beginning with verse 11. And he said, A man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his estate with loose living. Now, when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country. And he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country. And he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him. But when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. 
So he got up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion for him and ran and embraced him and kissed him. That is a picture of our God right there. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate Isn't that wonderful? That is a picture of reconciliation right there. What God does for the believing sinner who turns from their sin and trusts Christ. Again, let this truth grip your hearts. The sinlessness of Christ, the substitution of Christ and salvation through Christ This is what reconciliation is about. And so this morning, there are actually a couple of applications that we can make out from this passage. If you've not been reconciled to God, turn from your son like the prodigal son. He came to his senses. He saw his lost condition. And he repented. Trust Christ's work alone on your behalf. As it says here in 2 Corinthians 5, in verse 20, the latter part, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That's one application. And so if there's someone here this morning that does not know Jesus, maybe you have professed salvation, but deep down in you know it's not the real deal. I beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And if you know that you've been reconciled, having God's love in your hearts now, notice what it says up there in verses 14 and 15. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died, and he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Speaking generally, we live for Christ, right? But then he gets specific down in verse 20 again. The first part. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us. If we have received reconciliation, then we are ministers of reconciliation. We're ambassadors for Christ. That's what God has called us to do. It's pretty simple. And we do it out of a heart of love. In light of what he's done for us. Embrace those three truths that you have heard this morning in your heart as we go to communion now. May they change you for God's glory. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word this morning and just taking this short time out to reflect on just this one verse. Oh, Father, fully we cannot understand (laughs) the depths of all that was accomplished through Christ. What we have meditated upon this morning comes from your great wisdom. 
We know it came from a heart of love, and you offer it to us in grace. We just thank you for the truth of reconciliation, that God, you brought us near by the blood of the cross through the work of Jesus Christ. Thank you. And I pray this morning that as we take communion, that we are reminded of these truths, and that, Lord, we will give ourselves away to you to serve you as you gave yourself away to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, if you would just take your...